Um, please, if you would, open up in, uh, in your Bibles to First Kings. And actually, while y'all are opening, we might as well just open up to First Kings uh, chapter 17. You'll, you'll understand why after we pray, uh, and then we'll talk a little bit uh, about uh, the northern prophetic narratives that you find within First and Second Kings. Uh, it'll be a great aid and benefit to us as we look at the books as a whole. Let's, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, now, as we open up uh, to First and to Second Kings, and as we look particularly at the ministries of Elijah and Elisha to the northern kingdoms of Israel, God, I pray that you would bless our study of your word, that you would open it up to us in a way that reveals Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior, and our King, and that as we study, uh, we would be blessed in a way that deepens our understanding of you, grows us in fellowship with one another, and prepares us to move out into the world uh, that we might share the good news that we hold so dear. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. This is 1 Kings and 2 Kings. Uh, remember the purpose of this, and, and it should be very obvious when I tell you to open up to 1 and to 2 Kings, that there's no way we're going to be able to cover this in 35 to 40 minutes if we were to go chapter by chapter and line by line. But that was never the purpose of this survey. Uh, if you recall, the purpose is that we might open up to any book of the Bible after this survey is complete, and that we might, as it were, recall some simple tools and have a nice handout that would help us in our individual study, in our family study, and in our Bible studies, and perhaps even in our Sabbath morning worship. And so we come now to First and Second Kings, and as a, as a brief introduction, to First and Second Kings, and you'll find more about it um, on this handout in the context and connection portion. Uh, it, it's quite helpful to kind of place us where we where we are. Um, we haven't been in our survey for a couple weeks because of Easter, and then of course last week when Rebecca and I were in Tennessee, and so uh, we come now to First and Second Kings, and we we were previously in First and Second Samuel, but all of these books are combined. In fact, in the Greek, it's one through four kingdoms. Uh, it's all the kingdoms, which is a great identifier because we start with God's kingdom, the monarchy. Uh, we start with David, and we start with uh, with Saul, rather, and then David, and then Solomon. That's the United Kingdom. All right, uh, nothing. Uh, well, there are some sinful things that are happening, but uh, as we see it, there is no division. Uh, things are united. Uh, if you recall, uh, when we were talking about the judges, uh, the the kingdom was not united. The the tribes were disparate. They weren't together, and it was very difficult on the people. And yet, under the kings, uh, we begin to see a unity under the monarchy of God. Well, First and Second Kings, we see a, a reign by Solomon, which is quite wonderful. David's son, uh, some wonderful things happen, a building of the temple, and yet there is a division. And in that division, we see the southern kingdom of Judah, uh, and that is the Davidic line. And then we see the northern kingdom of Israel, which is a, a sinful and ungodly and idolatrous line uh, of kings that are not affiliated uh, with the blessing that God has bestowed on David and his progeny. And so uh, uh, this is kind of the setup that we get for First and Second Kings. And, and 
and here's the purpose and the hope for tonight. As we look at the theme of First and Second Kings, that God, in total control, preserves his people with grace and mercy, despite sin's presence and repercussions. Rick, Rick's, trying to, Rick's trying to just read the whole thing. Somebody help him. That's, you know, that's why I tell people you got to use uh, the paper Bibles. <laughs> he's, make, he's making offerings at the high places. <laughs> so, to reiterate, uh, if you look on your handouts, you'll see the theme. Uh, that's First and Second Kings. God, in total control, preserves his people with grace and mercy, despite sin's presence and repercussions. In this case, destruction of the physical kingdom and exile of the people. That's really what's happening in First and Second Kings. God's sovereignty is being slammed in our face. That God is in control. He's the one doing these things. It happens over and over. Uh, and yet, there's also a serious problem sin mainly idolatry but a ton of other things and there's repercussion for that and we see it in the destruction of the northern kingdom israel and the exile and really destruction of the southern kingdom judah we track all of that in first and second kings the purpose for tonight going through the northern prophetic narratives in other words elijah and elisha all right, the two prophets, Elijah and Elisha, is because they're a, a, a little subset of everything that's happening in First and Second Kings. Uh, it, Elijah and Elisha, the northern prophetic uh, narrative section, uh, it's called that, by the way, because those two prophets are called to Israel, the northern kingdom, thus northern. Uh, they're prophets, thus prophetic. And then it's a story. It's in story format. It's in narrative format as opposed to, say, Isaiah, where you get a lot of poetry prophecy, where it's set apart in your Bibles. You'd see it. It's, it's like a psalm, right? It's a song or, or a, a poem. It's, it's actual prophecy. We see Elijah and Elisha, boots on the ground, narrative. And so it's the northern prophetic Narratives. It takes up about a third of First and Second Kings, which uh, should let us know that it's very important. First and Second Kings uh, uh, being quite long, twenty-two and twenty-five chapters long, and so we see uh, that that in in the course of all of those chapters, a third of it has to do with Elijah and Elisha. Perhaps that's enough beginning. What we're going to do now is dive in particularly uh, into a look at Elijah and Elisha. Uh, you'll find this on your handout. It'll be very helpful, actually, uh, on your handout on the back part. Uh, you'll find it in 1 Kings chapter 17. That's why I asked you to open up there. But you'll see I have it set apart on the handout, 1 Kings 17 through 2 Kings 10, with a little bit from chapter 13. These are all, these are all of the things that are happening in this northern prophetic narrative, in the lives of Elijah and Elisha. So to start, we come to 1 Kings 17, and really, I might read a little bit from 1 Kings 16 to get us 
to get us a little bit more context, and then we'll dive into the text. And and y'all will see how this theme that I have presented here, God in total control preserves his people with grace and mercy, despite sin's presence and repercussions, is revealed in the ministry of Elijah and Elisha and can help us as we zoom out to to march through what I imagine if y'all have tried to read it, maybe in a maybe in a kind of read through the year plan or something like that. First and second Kings, first and second Chronicles, you can begin to get lost in the history a little bit. The king's names get very confusing. Things begin to repeat uh, and, and it's hard to kind of track where we are and why. If we look at these narratives, which are very easy to follow, I think that the rest will fall into place for First and Second Kings. Uh, and I think that will be very helpful for us uh, as we move next week into a comparison of First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles, which will be the other way that we can really begin to, I think, dive into these books in a profitable manner. Okay, First Kings 16. Let's start with verse uh, 29. I'll actually read quite a bit of it because it's fairly important. In the 38th year of of Asa, king of Judah, Ahab, the son of Omri, began to reign over Israel. And Ahab, the son of Omri, reigned over Israel in Samaria 22 years. And Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord, more than all who were before him. And as if it had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, that was the first rebeller, Uh, that was the one, the, the man who rebelled initially, Against the Davidic line. He took for his wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians, and went and served Baal and worshipped him. He erected an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which he built in Samaria, and Ahab made an Asherah. Ahab did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. In his days, Hiel of Bethel built Jericho. He laid its foundation at the cost of Aviram, his firstborn, and set up its gates at the cost of his youngest son, Segub, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun. Then in chapter 17, verse 1, Elijah the Tishbite of Tishbe and Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years. Except by my word. Elijah has come on the scene. Uh, Before this, there were a few uh, prophets barely mentioned in the text. But now, the sins of Israel, the northern kingdom. Remember, Judah and the Davidic line are down here. Uh, They are really playing a minor role in the northern prophetic narratives. We're we're talking about Israel. Highly sinful. Highly idolatrous. And and it it was like that before Ahab. But when Ahab hits... It hits like a punch in the face. The idolatry and the sin of Israel skyrockets, and it never comes down until it's total destruction. And so Ahab comes on the scene. He marries Jezebel, right? No one, no one names their children Jezebel anymore, right? Because of this Bible text, because you see, oh no, she's cast in such a bad light. And it's true. She's a great sinner uh, who tempted away even an already sinful man, but tempted him even more into some heinous and blasphemous sins against God. And so Ahab and Jezebel are set up and Elijah appears. God brings forth a prophet to begin to speak against the sins of his people and to speak on behalf of him and to seek to reveal 
himself, that is God. Now, with that set up, and with Ahab and Jezebel in place, we see Elijah begin to directly answer Baal. Remember the theme. The theme is that God is in total control, and that he is preserving his people in mercy and grace, even in spite of all this sin that is happening, okay? God's sovereignty is at stake here. Who's in control? Who is? Elijah comes in and firmly hollers, God is. Yahweh, the God of Israel, the true Israel. Let me tell you about him. And so we see, even before chapter 18, which is that famous chapter, right? Some of y'all might recall Elijah on the mountain versus the Baal prophets where he kind of makes fun of them and, and they're going back and forth. We'll get there in a second. Uh, but, but there's this reality playing out of, of God versus Baal. Who is Baal? Well, uh, he's an idol. Uh, he's he's a, a fake god, a false god. Uh, Baal meaning uh, master or lord, really, in the, in the Hebrew text. Uh, he, he's kind of known uh, to be the storm god, the god of fertility, the god who provides, uh, a god who defeats death. If you recall, that sounds a lot like the god of Israel. The true God. And so not only is this just, say, a a false God, which is already heinous in and of itself, a false God who perhaps provides mercy from stubbed toes or something like that. You know, there's a myriad of gods, you know, a God who provides safety on the waters or something like that. Baal uh, creates in the people's mind a false God so close to Yahweh that an answer is now provided that Yahweh might be distinguished. And so Elijah comes on the scene. If you recall, uh, the first thing I mentioned, the storm God. And what does Elijah say? No rain. Let's keep it dry. And the heavens shut. No rain. There's strike one. He's also, Baal, he's known as the God of fertility. Well, in chapter 17, we see Elijah and there's a widow, uh, and, and uh, uh, well, we see later uh, this widow's son, rather, uh, who, who dies. He's a god of fertility. He's a god over death. This is chapter 17, verse 17. The son of the woman, the mistress of the house, became ill. Well, Elijah says, raised from the dead. And he does. They strike two against Moab. God who defeats death? Huh? Uh, we see in... Verse 18, uh, a direct confrontation between the Baal prophets where Elijah basically says, listen, I'll let you go first. Here's something. You, you get your God to call down fire, you win. I get my God to call down fire, I win. And so in this direct confrontation that lasts forever, you see all this stuff happening. The Baal prophets cutting themselves, trying to get, get their God to listen. He's, he's a fake God. He will not listen because he's not real. Well, Elijah, after he's finished having uh, what some might call a little bit of sinful fun, but some fun nonetheless, he's making fun of these guys. He says, listen, let me show you. Fire come down. And boom, the Lord provides the fire and consumes the sacrifice. And then, of course, the Baal prophets are defeated uh, and are subsequently destroyed uh, because of God's holiness and because of the need, because of their own blasphemy 
uh, for them to be eradicated. And so, from this very beginning point, we see that, that God's sovereignty is at stake, that God is seeking to reveal himself to a people who have gone so far astray that they're worshiping stone and wood. And so he begins to reveal himself through direct confrontation uh, uh, in Elijah and subsequently Elisha. Uh, Elisha does a similar thing uh, in 2 Kings chapter 1. It's not a hard flip to get there from 1 Kings chapter 17. In 2 Kings chapter 1, uh, Elijah uh, is, uh, um, oh, I, I apologize, not Elisha. Elijah is continuing his ministry. He hasn't, he hasn't gone up to heaven yet. And in 2 Kings 1, a similar thing happens where uh, there, there is a man uh, who, who is seeking counsel from God. But he doesn't go to Yahweh. He goes to an idol of stone. Now Ahaziah fell through the lattice in his upper chamber in Samaria and lay sick. So he sent messengers telling them, this is verse 2 of chapter 1 of Second Kings, Go, inquire of Baal Zabab, the god of Ekron, whether I shall recover from this sickness. What? Verse 3. But the angel of the Lord said to Elijah the Tishbite, Arise, go up to meet the messengers of the king of Samaria and say to them, here it comes, is it because there is no God in Israel that you are going to inquire of Baalzebub, the God of Ekron? Is it because there is no God? Why have you turned away from me? The reality is that God is in total control, that God is sovereign, that God has revealed himself, that God is very near. And yet, his people, in serious and heinous sin, have turned away from him and are worshiping idols. Elijah seeking to reveal this to the northern kingdom of Israel. We see this over and over in this northern prophetic narrative. Let me just recall for you before we walk through just a few examples, the theme, God in total control preserves his people with grace and mercy. Despite sin's presence and repercussions, God in total control preserves his people. Now let's walk through some of the examples that we see in the northern prophetic narrative. I already, I already showed y'all a few, right? Uh, chapter 17, verses 8 through 24. This is the handout, by the way, as well. You can follow along as, as uh, you flip in your Bible. You can kind of follow along and see these sections, this reality that God is in control and that he's revealing himself by his prophets. Uh, chapter 17, 8 through 24. There's provision of food and life. For a Gentile woman, no less. We don't have time to talk about God's revelation to the Gentiles, and yet we see it even here. God going out to the Gentiles. Jesus himself speaks of this later, uh, how Elijah and Elisha, ah, well, they didn't stay in Israel. They had to go somewhere else to find his people. All right, 1 Kings 18, we see that the Lord is the one true God and in control. That was the battle with the Baal prophets. Uh, uh, 1 Kings 19, verses 1 through 18, we see that, that the Lord is the provider and sustainer of his people. This is that, this is that wonderful moment where uh, uh, Elijah, in, in, a, in a fit of desperation, uh, verse 4 of chapter 19, he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, 
It is enough. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he rose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food forty days and forty nights. To Horeb, the Mount of God, you can just hear Jesus' own trek. You can hear the, uh, the travels of Israel before, 40 years, Jesus' fast of 40 days. And then we look and we see in verse 9, there he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only am left and they seek my life to take it away. Here it comes. Remember, the Lord is the provider and sustainer of his people. He said, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord and behold, the Lord passed by. Just like he passed by Moses and a strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind and after the wind an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake and after the earthquake a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. These are all acts of God to reveal his power. Here comes God. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. The Hebrew, a sound, a thin Silence. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. He wrapped his face in the cloak because he didn't want to be destroyed coming into the presence of the Lord. And behold, there came a voice and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? And the, the conversation changes. The Lord is the provider and sustainer. There are many people out there I am not only working through you, I am working through many to bring my means, to bring uh, my revelation, and in the case of Israel, to bring my ultimate judgment. Elijah is not alone. In fact, then we see right after it, a great helper, a great partner in the ministry, Elisha comes along. Uh, And we, we could go on and on through these examples. They're wonderful. Uh, uh, just a reading through these northern prophetic narrative stories. These little instances provide wonderful moments uh, uh, for us to reflect upon and to pray. Uh, even that, uh, we begin to see God in all of these different ways. Just just look through it with me, uh, and you'll see some of the different things that are revealed. Uh, you know, God is sovereign. He's in total control. How? Look at all of these uh, we saw 1 Kings 20, an interlude. Elijah's not alone. Well, we come to 1 Kings chapter 21 and 22. The Lord judges his enemies. The Lord is the one true God. Elisha succeeds Elijah as the prophet, as Elijah's taken into heaven. The Lord is the provider and sustainer. The Lord provides. The Lord provides and sustains. The Lord protects. The Lord heals. The Lord provides and reveals. The Lord is all powerful. The Lord provides and restores. The Lord judges righteously. The Lord judges righteously 
We see here in this northern prophetic narrative a reality that is playing out not only in First and Second Kings, but in all of Scripture. Uh, we see in the ministry of Elijah and Elisha God's sovereignty. Uh, it would be as if it were at the top of the diagram, and then you have all these different lines. Let me show you how I am in control and how I am seeking to preserve my people, how I am seeking to reveal myself to those who will be judged. It's really quite wonderful. Speaking of revealing himself, God, uh, we need to also remember in Scripture, always, because Jesus himself said it, that all of this Scripture that we have, that has been given to us, preserved by the Holy Spirit, is actually revealing Jesus Christ. Uh, we see it, uh, you know, the great I am, the capital L-O-R-D of the Old Testament. We see it there. Uh, and yet, Jesus Christ is revealed in a myriad of ways, in, in a multitude of, of shadows, as it were, of types, uh, uh, is the word that theologians sometimes use, types of Christ. Uh, Jesus is revealed in the Old Testament time and time again. We've seen it in the temple. We've seen it in David and the monarchy. We've seen it in the fathers, the, uh, the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We're seeing it in Joseph's life right now on Sunday mornings. And here, it's no different. Elijah and Elisha are revealing Jesus Christ and the good news of Jesus in a multitude of ways. Here's a few. First of all, the Old Testament, names really matter. They kind of matter in the New Testament too, but man, in the Old Testament, it is very important to remember what the names mean. Elijah, Eli, Yah, my God is Yahweh. Think about Elijah's ministry for a second. Even what I just said, if you're unfamiliar at all with Elijah, he was very confrontational. Uh, he, was he was serious about taking a stand for Yahweh, but that is what God had called him to because they had turned away. And so it's as if he is screaming every time they say his name, my God is Yahweh, Elijah, Elijah, Elijah. He's just screaming his name at all of these kings who are not listening and yet that is what he has been called to do. And God's people that we see here because God preserves his people and he told Elijah that there are those that are his, even in this forsaken land, they are being comforted. They are being saved. They are being restored. Elijah, my God, is Yahweh. Likewise, Elisha, God saves. Elisha, my God, saves. And that is really what is going on with Elisha's ministry. We see in the life of Elisha a healing ministry that we will not see again until Jesus Christ's earthly ministry. And when you read through the miracles of Elisha, you, if you have read even just one gospel once, you will immediately remember the miracles of Jesus they are so close to one another that it is obvious that by God's providence and total control that he is revealing that Savior to come and the miracles that Elisha is performing. Uh, and if that was not enough, if you recall from the New Testament, and this is written as well in the um, context and connection portion. You can read a little bit more about it and follow up on your own study. You know, Elijah 
Well, what did Jesus say about Elijah? It's John the Baptist. Elijah was revealing John the Baptist. Who's John the Baptist? He's the messenger to come right before Jesus. Behold, I am preparing a way. I am sending a messenger. And what is he going to say? He's going to say, repent, repent. The kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus is coming, is what John the Baptist is saying. And so then you see Elijah, repent, repent, turn away. My God is Yahweh. Your God should be Yahweh too. He gets called up in a chariot of fire. And then Elisha is there. And what does Elisha do? Well, he's pretty strong still. And yet, his is not a ministry of confrontation. His is a ministry of healing. And so even as we see uh, John the Baptist and Jesus Christ, we see the same thing. Uh, Partners, uh, the elder brother, Jesus, of course. And yet we see John the Baptist preparing a way, Jesus entering the scene. Elijah and Elisha, we see it in the Old Testament. God preparing a way, God revealing to us the good news of Jesus. Uh, If you are to read it in that way, you'll begin to see that Elisha, he displays a a, a prophetic role, a kingly role, a priestly role, uh, just like Jesus is prophet, priest, and king. Uh, We see so many similarities to Christ's miracles, like I mentioned before. Uh, it It is apparent when we begin to look at it through this lens and very helpful for us to begin to see Jesus Uh, In the Old Testament, particularly here in the northern prophetic narrative. Now, all of this is very good. We see the gospel. We see uh, uh, this, this very good news playing itself out within, well, very bad news. The northern kingdoms, and we'll get to this next week, but if you don't know, the northern kingdoms are decimated, utterly demolished, uh, it is very, very bad. Uh, it, it's beyond Holocaust. Uh, if we want to think about a serious event in our kind of in our own era, this is beyond Holocaust. Uh, this is Jews uh, getting their throats slashed and the pregnant women getting their uh, stomachs torn open. That's what Scripture says. This is very, very bad. The judgment that God is wreaking upon these blasphemous people is bad. And yet, we see that God is seeking to reveal something. Out of that bad news, we cry, how in the world are we to be saved? Because we are like those people in Israel. Don't think that you're better. Our idols might not be idols of stone. Uh, We're not worshiping Baal or Ashtaroth on the top of a hill, you know, a a loblolly pine or something like that. Now, that seems silly to us, right? But man, that telephone that was just talking talks to us a whole lot, doesn't it? Those TV shows that we watch, those sports shows, the inundation that we have of culture, uh, even our social gospel, as we seek to enact change in our culture, if it supersedes the monarchy of Jesus Christ, the reign and the rule of our supreme head, We fall into the kingdom of Israel. How in the world are we to be saved? It is bad news. News that we don't think we can come back from because God's righteousness and holiness is presented before us and we can't cover our face like Elijah because we are just going to be judged. He knows who we are even if we hide. What do we do? But you see the light and you see the gospel being revealed 
You see time and time again Elijah and Elisha revealing to his people that good news of Jesus Christ. Uh, That reality that people cannot save themselves, and yet, what does Elijah say? Rise from the dead. A dead person can't do anything, and yet God's working on their behalf. These miracles that are coming, one after the other, are helping people to see that God is working and that God works on their behalf. He is a God who saves if we but cry out to him for salvation. And you see that if you look through uh, uh, any of these solid rock verses that are outside of the northern prophetic narrative, you begin to see that God is doing this, that he's doing it in the monarchies, both in the northern kingdom and in the southern kingdom. Uh, He is continually providing opportunity of revelation of himself that people might turn and repent. This little subset 1 Kings 17 through 2 Kings 10. If, if, we, if we zoom out now from the northern prophetic narrative, we begin to, to be able to take what the writer is intending with this recorded history. You'll see this in the context portion. I encourage you to read it. But, but this writing happened well after the destruction of Jerusalem. How could he write about the destruction of Jerusalem if... He was writing before it. We have to keep that in mind. He's writing particularly to a certain set of people with a certain set of questions. Questions that probably I was just asking. How in the world can we be saved? Israel's gone. Judah's gone. We don't know where the king is. It's over. And yet we see here recorded these instances of light within the dark a reality that God is still with us even in the valley of the shadow of death, right? That psalm that we love, Psalm 23, we don't fear. Why? Because you are with me. God is still there. He is still present. A lamp still burns, uh, a lamp of the king of David. If we zoom out after we look at this northern prophetic narrative, we, be, we can begin to track with that. We, we can begin to see past um, maybe some names that we're not familiar with or, you know, when we're trying to read, we, we kind of have to skip over. We can begin to see past, uh, uh, you know, this guy reigned and it was very bad. This guy reigned and it was very bad. This guy reigned and it was very bad. And you think, what? Who cares? You're trying to wonder why is this recorded and, and, and why is it in this way? And, and what in the world is he talking about Israel and Judah? I don't even get it. The southern kingdom of Judah, the Davidic line, the northern kingdom of Israel, extremely blasphemous. And yet, God is continuing to, uh, in total control, work through these things all the way through the destruction of both kingdoms into the exile uh, that is to come. Out of bad news, very good news comes. And yet, it's very difficult to see if we are not continually placing our eyes upon God, the God who is in total control, the very God that Elijah and Elisha were so jealous of and were so desirous for the people of Israel to know about and to hold fast to. The sovereignty of God is shown in both judgment and preservation. Judgment of those who are very sinful and preservation of the remnant, the remnant of which we are a part, 
the remnant that's spoken of all throughout the rest of the Old Testament, the remnant that flies right through the narrative of Jesus Christ, those Jews that would believe uh, in Jerusalem, those 3,000 that would turn into 5,000, that would turn into 7,000, that would turn into 100,000, that would turn into a million, and those continued all the way through to Centennial, the remnant, the remnant of God's people. We are of Abraham. We are Abraham's seed. God has promised that he would continue to preserve, and yet, it has to march through some serious sin sometimes. And we see that here in First and Second Kings. Now, before I read the theme one final time and we pray and maybe I take a few questions, it will be good to remember that we only covered a small portion of this. The purpose is because if you've ever tried to do any reading, you read First and Second Kings in your yearly Bible plan, and then you go to First and Second Chronicles and you think, I think I've read this before. Uh, there is great similarity to First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles, and yet there is also great difference. The story and the substance is the same, and yet there are definitely two different things being revealed. Jesus Christ, of course, at the top of all of this, Jesus being revealed, and yet the emphases of these two sets of books, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles. Oh, it reveals something very interesting. And I think that as we look next week and compare these two with this in hand and with First and Second Chronicles in hand, we will really be able uh, to have a couple different tools to march through uh, as y'all open up uh, these books on your own. Remember this, Elijah and Elisha, the northern prophetic narrative. If you, if you read through that, and if you remember that God is in total control and he preserves his people with grace and mercy despite sin's presence and repercussions, if you can hold fast to that reality that God is in total control, that God is the one working, that God is the one working and he's being emphasized as doing such in First and Second Kings, if you can see it in Elijah and Elisha. In 1 Kings chapter 17 through 2 Kings chapter 10 with a little bit of chapter 13, if you can see that, Zoom it out. Remember it when you go to 1 Kings 1, when you march through Solomon's reign all the way through 10, when you go into the, uh, the apostasy and the blasphemy of chapter 12, Rehoboam and Jeroboam, when you continue through Omri, when you go through all of the kings that come after, when you see the destruction of Israel, when you see the destruction of Judah, when you see all of these things, if you can remember what you see in the northern prophetic narrative, that God is in control, He's working, and that he's working even in the darkness, that there is light, namely Jesus Christ. It will be very profitable for you to open up and read of these kingly lines. I hope you'll be able to come back next week so we can kind of seal up these uh, books, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, and yet uh, this has given you at least, I think, a leg up for First and Second Kings. Let's pray, and then we have a few minutes for any questions. Heavenly Father, Thank you for your word, for the reality that you are working and that you are in control. Lord, uh, we even saw this last Sunday uh, uh, as uh, uh, Mike was preaching on your providence, uh, that you work all things together for good, even when it is difficult for us to see it in the moment. God, help us to always hold fast to you to the one God, the true God, the God who is in control at all times. And Father, as we look to you, 
who are in control, help us to also hold fast to that son that you have revealed to us, Jesus Christ, who saves us from our sin, that very salvation that we desperately cry out for, that we desperately see in the northern kingdom of Israel. Lord, please continue to be with us. Continue to reveal Jesus to us. And it's in his name we pray now. Amen.